Many of you will recall what we once learned from the Nitziv in his Hagdama to, to Sefer Bereshis. He says Sefer Bereshis is called Sefer Hayoshar, the book of the upright, the book of the just. Why? Because the others were called Yoshar. He says, what is Yoshar? Yoshar basically means to, um, to use a more contemporary phrase, Metzlachkeit. Straight, straight shooters, normal, good people that are mentioned. In a sense, this really becomes an introduction to what the Torah is. We all know the famous statement, Derech Eretz Kodmala Torah. Derech Eretz precedes Torah. First you have to be a mensch before you have to be, before you could take the Torah. For that matter, the, the progression of the Parshios fit in, in a more, in a moral progression as well. Adam Arishon and Parshish Bereshis represents the creation of the totality of the universe, the earth, mankind, and in a sense, if you look at the way the Sefer is set up, you first have a very general creation, the whole universe, heaven and earth, stars, sun, moon. Then you have a concentration and a focus on this earth, as well as life on this earth, until finally man. And at that point, we ignore the animal kingdom. We're now dealing with man. We have, other more recently, we have the story of mankind. What happens, of course, in Parshas Noah is, is a recreation of man, a new prototype man. Odom, his name is Adam, represents prototype man. Noah is a recreation of prototype man. How do we know that Noah is a recreation and a prototype of man? Firstly, because of the fact that nowadays we refer to human beings as B'nai Noah, sons of Noah. So when you want to talk about a guy or a Gentile or the totality of mankind, it's B'nai Noah. Shiva mitzvah B'nai Noah, the seven Noahide laws. Not the seven Adamite laws, but the seven Noahide laws. Shiva mitzvah B'nai Noah. And therefore, Noah really becomes the new man. In fact, there's another allusion to this idea by simply the way the parish of Noah begins. Or I should say more correctly, the way the parish of Noah doesn't begin. It starts with Ela told us Noah. These are the generations and the life and times of Noah, rather than the Ela told us Noah, with a vav. And as the Medrash tells us over here and in a few other places, wherever it begins with the word Ela, Ela means these and not those. The Ela means this in addition to those. Or in the words of the Medrash, Ela poiselas harishainim. Whenever the word Ela is used, you're disqualifying the earlier ones. Wherever you're saying the Ela, you're not disqualifying it, you're adding to it. And a few examples are used. Ela toldo shemayim v'oretz. In Parshas Beresh, says, these are the chronicles of heaven and earth. It says Ela. It doesn't say the Ela. Why? Because what preceded heaven and earth? Chaos and anarchy. Tohu v'vohu. Or according to those that are into more mystical tradition, there were previous creations, previous worlds, as I once pointed out from the Pharisee soil, that all of these dinosaur bones and all of these other signs of life were from the, um, the remnants of previous creations that were destroyed. Hashem was in the words of the Medrash. He was creating worlds, destroying worlds, until finally he said, this is the one that I like. 
all the previous ones are disqualified are now ignored. These are the chronicles of heaven and earth. This is what we care about. It's life on this world. We don't really care about previous lives and previous worlds and what happened when the dinosaurs were around. I mean, we're not into a big Jurassic Park here. And uh, that's, not, that's not our concern. Our concern is this world. Also, if you go with the simple explanation, we're not, obviously, we're disqualifying the Tovavo that was before the world. So therefore, whenever we have the Eila, as opposed to the Veila, it represents a, a disqualifying of the first. We also have Eila Toldos Yaakov. After the discussion of the generations and the history and the entire uh, process of how Esau inherited his portion, it is now Eila Toldos Yaakov. Now we're talking about Yaakov. We're disqualifying what comes before, which was the story of Esau and his generations. So in that sense, we have the same thing. Eila Toldos Noah. The previous world, if you will, has been redestroyed and reverted back to Tovavo. Noah is now the new prototype man. He's Adam number two, if you will. Eila Tolos Noah, Ben Noah. We're disqualifying the Dora Mabul and all that came before. We're starting fresh with Noah. So therefore the Eila, as opposed to the Eila, is a clue to that. We of course have here Miles' question, which is the Galatik Akasha. How can we find the Eila Tolos Yitzchak? Right after Yishmoel's generations and children are brought down over there it says Ve'ele told us Yitzchak and these are the generations of Yitzchak implying a continuum so in that sense one can say that um, the focus is getting more narrowed and concentrated until after we have Parshas Noach comes the next Parsha next Parsha is already the Parsha of the Jewish people that's the beginning of the story of the Jewish people. So at this point in time, we're really talking about mankind and what mankind was, is, should have been. And therefore we have Adam Rishon, destroyed, recreated, Noah being the new prototype man. And therefore this is the Parsha in that sense, if you will, of Derech Eretz Kodmala Torah. Be a mensch before you're a Jew. You know, uh, reminds me, there was once a debate between Mayor Kahana in a uh, and a, and and a reform rabbi on some TV program, and they were discussing what does it mean to be a Jew. And the reform rabbi said, oh, a "Jew, social uh, concerns and peace and brotherhood, and you know civil rights and uh, brotherhood, fraternity, all the stuff, all the slogans of the French Revolution. That's what it means to be a Jew." To which he answers, he says, you just described to me what it means to be a human being. But what does it mean to be a Jew? Every human being should do all of that. Is it only for Jews? That's only the, the province of Jews to be nice and to be kind and to be charitable and to be full of traffic, right? Traffic. So, is that only for Jews? That's a benayach. Eila told us Noah. This is the parsha of their Heretz. Next comes Jews truth is you have to be a mensch before you could be a Jew. You have to be a mensch before you could be a Jew. So therefore the parish of Noah, in a sense, you see it over here also. I mean, just as a, uh, an allusion, people lost their derecherets, if you will. The world was full of violence, full of decay, full of degeneracy. They lost their derecherets. This becomes the parish 
to teach us their Heretz Kodmalator, Shiva Mitzvah Menoach, seven Noahide ones. Not the parish of Horatius, but mainly the parish of Noah as being the the um, introduction, the preamble to the story of the Jewish people. In a more broad sense, therefore, says the Nitziv, that's what all Chumash Bereshis is. All Chumash Bereshis is safer Hayoshon, to teach a person how to be a mensch, to teach a person how to be upright and to be straight and to be good and to be kind. That's why Sefer Bereshis is full of stories, not mitzvahs. Why? Because what are the purpose of mitzvahs? The purpose of mitzvahs are to enhance and to teach a Jew how to act and what kind of midos to to uh, to try to assimilate into himself. But there are certain very basic ones. And those basic ones we could learn from the stories of the Ovos. When we read the stories of the Ovos, we learn from their behavior how to behave, how to act. And therefore the stories also become lessons just like mitzvahs. Just as mitzvahs are lessons in, in how to be a yid, the stories of the Ovos are also lessons in how to be a yid just simply by learning their stories. In that sense, therefore, Noah and the Parshas Bereshit, Parshas Noah, should teach us certain lessons of their hearts. I pointed out the other day that since we begin Parshas Noah, almost from the very beginning, the Torah is teaching us different lessons of their hearts in the area of speech. Why is that? Well, I'll give you three examples of it, very briefly. Right away, it starts with Elo told us Noach, Noach is tzaddik. Tom Hoya b'darosa v'solkim b'salach Noach. Vayolad Noach shoshavon v'shemes chamas yofes. These are the life and times of Noach. Noach was a righteous person. He was pure, wholehearted. He walked with God. And Noach bore three children. Shem chamas yofes. What you have is a little bit of an interruption. In Elo told us Noach, we're talking about the generations of Noach. And then in the next pasuk, it resumes that particular narrative by saying, "Vayolad Noach Shloshavon Meshem Eschom Mesyofus." It tells you what his children are. So, what's the interruption of Noach is Tzadik Tamoyev Daros? It sounds like a parenthesis, if you will. These are the generations of Noach. By the way, Noach was a Tzadik Tamoyev Daros. He walked with God, and Noach had three children. So we learn from there a lesson, says Rashi, based on the pasuk in Mishlei that says, "Zecher Tzadik Levrocha Meshem Eschom Yirkov." Zecher Tzadik Levrocha means that when you make mention of a Tzadik, it should be a blessing. For that reason, whenever we talk about a Tzadik, we'll always refer to him as Zecher Tzadik Levrocha. Moshe Zechrein Tzadik Levrocha, or Aaron Kotler Zechrein Levrocha. Why? Because of this Pasuk. So the Torah is teaching that to us over here. We're making mention of Noah, he's a Tzadik, let's say something nice about him. So we're talking about his kids, about what happened to him, but the first time we bring up his name, let's say a nice word about Noah. So that's the lesson of Zechat Tzadik Lebracha. It's how a person should talk. Later on, we find in the Pesach by Parsha Sheni, Hashem tells Noah, go into the Teva, you and your family, because I have found you to be a Tzadik in front of me in this generation. Almost a, a, a paraphrasing of the first Pesach. But over there, the word Tomim is left out. It just says, I found you to be a tzaddik. It should have said, I found you to be a tzaddik. Tomim, after all, Noah was both a tzaddik and a Tomim, whatever that means. But he was both. Says Rashi, we learn from there that when you speak directly to a person, you don't say all of his praises to his face. Behind his back, you say all of his praises. In front of him, you only say partial praises. Another lesson in Derech Eretz. In fact, 
In the very next passing, we have a third lesson in Derech Eretz and how to speak. You should take from all the clean animals, seven, and from all the animals which are not clean, take only two. Usually the the contrast between Tohar is Tomes. The should have said from the Tohar you take seven, from the Tome you take two. Here it is from the Tohar you take seven, and from those that are not Tohar you take two. Torah is teaching us a lesson, although later on we're not necessarily going to follow this lesson. But the lesson is two things. Brevity in speech is very commendable. And therefore the Torah will always speak in short, and you know, as short as possible. But if it's a way of saying it nicer and more refined in a better manner, then it's worth expanding the, uh, the words and the speech to, to say even more than you normally would. Because rather than economy of speech, cleanliness of speech, cleanliness of speech is a greater virtue than economy of speech. So that's a third lesson of Deir Heretz. But again, because Pasha Snoch is the Pasha of Deir Heretz, and Deir Heretz So therefore, Noach therefore represents prototype man and prototype mensch. Odom, if you will, could be prototype man. In the physical sense, Noach represents prototype mensch. Now that we have Der Heretz as the foundation and the introduction for Torah, we can have Pashas Lechlcha that already begins with the Jewish people. First you have to be a mensch and you have to have manners before you can be a Jew. Now let's go back to an interesting idea that we saw in Pashas Voracious. In the creation of man itself. In the creation of man, Hashem uses the following very troubling expression in the Torah. Hashem says in the Torah, Vayomer Elohim, Nasa Odom B'Tzalmenu, let us make man in our image, Kidmu Senu, according to our likeness, who shall rule over man and beast. The Pesach is in, on the bottom of page 4 and top of page 5. What's troubling about it? What's troubling about it is the expression of plural. Nasa Odom B'Tzalmenu, let us make man. Chazal already pointed out that this is a very, very troubling passage, especially when you're living in an era of idolaters who are constantly looking for a for an excuse to prove their version of, of uh, religion. This is a troubling passage. As a matter of fact, even in an era that's not idolatrous, this is a problematic possible. The Christians use this possible to try to prove Trinity. Nasodambitsalmenu shows that God is a Godhead composed of three components. The Trinity. Now the, the Torah to use a phrase which leads so many people off, where the Christians use it to say Trinity and idolaters use it to prove their point. Why should the Torah use such an expression? As a matter of fact, the other day we were talking about the Septuagint, the Targum Shivim. And we mentioned there that the 72 elders that were brought down by Ptolemy Philadelphus into Egypt and placed into 72 different houses to compose a Greek translation of the Torah, and they all had the Ruach HaKodesh, to be able to write the exact identical translation. And each of them made 13 changes in the Torah. You mentioned a couple of them. 
Voracious Bor Alakim, rather than uh, they, they, trans- they wrote Alakim Bor Voracious. They reverse it. God created the beginning, rather than in the beginning, God created. Likewise, we mentioned another change that they made, which was. So we mentioned a couple of the changes. One being that they translated the Arnevis as a short legged creature rather than a rabbit one of the four unclean animals. The reason for that was because the wife or the mother of Tommy Fadolfi's name was a rabbit. And uh, to go say that there are four unclean animals and amongst them is the pig and your wife. just wouldn't go over very well. So um, they made a change. Amongst the changes that they made was this possible for obvious reasons. Rather than Nas Odom B'Tzalmenu, they translated it as E'esa Odom B'Tzalmenu. I don't remember exactly how the Russian is. I will make man in my image. Rather than let us make man in our, in our likeness. Obviously, then, this is a very troubling posik, because this is one of the main changes that they made. In fact, in this week's parsha, there's another change that they made of a very similar variety. It says that Hashem says, by the door haflogah, by the door haflogah, it says <coughs> that Hashem says he he went down to see the building that they were making, the Tower of Bubble, and it says Hova Nerdo, let us now go down and and uh, intermingle their speech. Again, the plural expression is used rather than the singular. Here again, they made the change. They made the change. Why then does the Torah use such an expression? Obviously, one could say that it's the um, Victorian we, if you will, the royal we, where you say, let us. It's a nice figure of speech, possibly. But again, it still is a problem as to why Hashem would actually use such an expression when it could lead so many people off and could make so many mistakes. If you look in Rashi, Rashi on on uh, the bottom of page 4 and top of page 5, so Rashi says, well, we learned a couple of lessons from here. Nasa Odom and the Senusa Shalakodesh Baruch First Rashi says, there's two Rashis on the exact same thing. And the very similar ideas are said in both Rashi's. So we'll just take a quick look at both of them. First Rashi says, we see the humility of God. Why? Man is the only spiritual creature made in this world. In a certain way, he's similar to the image of the angels. Image, of course, not being in a physical sense, but in, in the spiritual sense. It's funny how people take this Pasuk and totally pervert it into thinking that, well, God has to look like us for that reason. The whole point is, we look like monkeys. We don't have, you know, in terms of a physical appearance, we look like a monkey. To say that God physically resembles us, or angels physically resemble us, it's ridiculous. The whole point of the Pasuk is to say that there should be a spiritual quality to man similar to that of God and the angels. So the point is, the B'Talmenu Kidmuseinu, obviously, has to mean a spiritual thing, not a physical. Because it's not like, you know, it's not that we resemble God the way a Barbie doll or a Ken doll, for that matter, resembles us. 
that guy was saying, well, let me make a doll. And he made monkeys and he made apes and he made cats and dogs with noses and eyes and mouth. Now I'm going to make one that looks even closer resemblance to me. That's that's doesn't even make sense. Obviously, Tzalmenu Kibusenu means a spiritual imaging of God, something that God is. God is is uh, not at all physical. Even to use the term spiritual on God may be an incorrect term. But let's talk about angels then. Angels are spiritual beings. Well, if angels are spiritual beings, then for man to be made in the image of God and angels would require a spiritual imaging rather than a physical one. So therefore God is saying, listen, I'm making man as a spiritual being over here and I didn't consult with the angels. They're going to be jealous. There's a certain kind of a... I mean, again, the term jealousy has to be used as a... understood as a borrowed expression. But the point is the derech eretz requires that you consult with the people that are being affected by it when you're doing something that seemingly will affect them. Man is made in an angelic image, the Iskanubal, therefore God consults with them before he does it. For that reason, when God makes judgment and he has to judge the people of this world, he likewise consults with the heavenly court. And he brings down a number of examples of this where, Rashi brings down a couple of examples, where he uses the Pamal Yishalot, the heavenly court, to, so to speak, get their permission to do something. Why? Because after all, if man and angels are so closely related, then when you do judgment, just like in the creation of mankind, you consult with the angels, in the judgment of mankind, you also consult with the angels. And Rashi gives a few examples of that, which will then explain the same thing by the Tower of Bavel. By the Tower of Bavel it says, Hovanir, the who's God speak to, let us go down. He's speaking to the Beis and Shalmaila. This is again an indication of God's humility. We're dealing now with punishing mankind, which which there's a vested interest, if you will, in the angelic world to what's happening in man's world. Let us go down. Consult. And therefore teaches you again their heritage. The next Rashi, though, gets more to the point of what we're dealing with here. Nasa Adam, says Rashi, <clears throat> page 5, Although we see in the next passage that they didn't, they didn't help God in the creation of man, it doesn't say that God and the heavenly court created man. That's singular. So they never helped in the creation of man. So why does God then say to them, let us make man? as if it's a joint team partnership effort. It wasn't a joint partnership effort. God did it by himself. Why does he then make it sound like it is a joint effort? And as a result, we have a possibility, an opening for the meaning, for the heretics, to use this as a proof, proof text of their heresy that there is more than one God there's a trinity as the Christians did as I pointed out the other day that as a result of the Septuagint Torah became the domain of the world it became a universal piece of literature which the Goyim sunk their claws into especially the Christians and therefore they tried to usurp Judaism and Jewry by saying we are the true Israel you've been rejected you only have the Old Testament we have both Testaments you only have the Old one 
we have the old as well as the new. So they usurped Torah and they usurped the name of Israel. And they, they began in the study of their text by using these terms, Nasodim B'Talmenu, as a way of saying, this proves our point. Why should God allow them this gaping hole to make a mistake? He says, nevertheless, Lo nimna was a calculated gamble and a risk that the Torah felt was worthwhile to do, even though this could lead people into heresy. Why? Lo the Torah was willing to do it in order to teach us a little bit of derecherts. Umidas anova, and to teach us humility, humbleness. That it is fitting and proper, as great as you are, or as great as you think you are, to consult and get permission from those that are what you consider beneath you. The word have said, I shall make man, this very important lesson would have been lost. Poshachan, therefore, would be, as the Bali Musa say, that you see how important their heritage is. That on the scale to weigh, what should we teach? Should we teach a theological lesson and not let theological mistakes be made? Or should we take a gamble and the risk that people are going to be led into heresy? But we'll teach an important lesson of their heritage. Their heritage takes precedence even over theological lessons. Their heritage, their heritage precedes and comes before Torah even to the point of such basics as monotheism. Their heritage is even more important than that. An amazing lesson. Yes. Their heritage comes before that. Still, for so much ascension, misunderstanding through the ages. Yeah, uh, the Torah is going to be succinct. I mean, with the addition of one or two words, it could have Okay, I, I accept your question. I accept your question in the sense that can't we have maybe taught this kind of a lesson of their heritage somewhere else? Why do we have to pick the worst possible spot in the creation of man when we talk about who's the creator and the created and one God, two God, three gods, Trinity, dualism? This is the spot that you have to take to teach us all their heritage. Can't you do a pasuk <coughs> earlier or a pasuk later? Yes. Is the fact that the Elkham don't even have any mind. In other words, the Avisher gives them a job to do. They can only do that job. They can't even do any other job. So why is he conferring with that? Well, you're, 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 I think you're asking Kasha more on the previous Rashi than on this one. The previous Rashi is the one that says that the angels will be jealous. What does it mean that they'll be jealous? Good, that's a question that I can't really answer. This Rashi though doesn't say that. This Rashi is it's totally irrelevant to whether angels have minds or not. It's teaching us a moral lesson in terms of how to act. That we should always consult. Like these are teaching us a lesson. It's irrelevant about the angels. But you still have the question, so why over here we're gonna cause mistakes? It's consistent with the general concept that you explain elsewhere. No, I, I, I what I'm talking about in all those cases where that it takes the lowest or the highest common denominator or the shlun everything else. Another is, okay, I hear what so you're saying. You you're saying an answer. Where Hashem is done yes. the utmost act of creation. Okay. In that act, okay, I'll buy that. Okay. What Richard is answering is the following. Yes, we're taking the worst possible spot, but that's part of the lesson. Part of the lesson is that their heritage is that important. 
that we're willing to take a gamble. The problem with that is that it still leaves us a little bit unfulfilled in one aspect, which is that, is this lesson directly related to over here? I mean, we won't arbitrarily choose a posik. It's going to be a stumbling block just to tell you how important their herds is. Is this posik the right targeted posik for it that we're willing to take that risk? That, you see, then already you could say that. If this posik is the necessary one, but we're taking even such a great risk, we'll, we're willing to take a great theological risk in order to teach us of their herds. But to arbitrarily choose it and cause a stumbling block, we have to see why this passage should be used. Yeah, uh, my question is that you're saying, why do you pick this spot? I'm saying instead of Bitsalmain or whatever it is, it's the plural. You say, right. I consulted with the Malachim, blah, 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 blah. You solved the whole question for the ages, and in the future when you're using the plural, everybody wants you never to be You'll never solve it. I'll tell you why. I'll, sh- I'll give you an, an, an example of that. Because the Medrash, when it talks about this particular problem, it says the truth is, it is no problem. Because if you look in the very next Pasuk, you see that the singular is used. Although God says, Nasa Adam, this is Vayivarolikim. That's singular, not plural. So we see clearly that it was only singular, and obviously the previous Pasuk means something other than we are a joint partnership effort. It's Vayivra, and he created the Talmud. And over there, the singular is used. The Talmud, the Talmud, it's emphasized twice by Yibro and God alone, singular, created man, the Talmud, in his singular image, the Talmud. Oh, so therefore, there should be no mistake made. Nevertheless, the mistake was still made. And I'll tell you why the mistake was made. Because although what you're answering may be a good answer to the idolaters, it won't be a good answer to the Christians. Because the Christians will say, no, Adarabah. This is bigger proof of, of our particular brand of heresy. Because they believe that the Trinity is one, which is three. Which would then explain why the plural and the singular are used. So there's no way out. You're not going to really win. Heretics that want to find heresy will find it. And even if... So we're taking care. Didn't Moshe, they started with the conclusion. Now they're going to go look Exactly. For it's always like that. But the question that Chazal saw here is, this is a very dangerous precedent that you're doing Rosh says, yes, it's worthwhile doing it to teach us their herds. And as Richard points out, we're using the lowest common denominator or the highest, most extreme example to show you how important it is their herds that we're even willing to take such a risk. Obviously, it's not that God says, be a heretic. We're willing to take a risk and a gamble for heresy in order to teach us a definitive, important lesson of their herds. But again, the question is, is this the right possible? I think there's an answer to this. And I think it's a very profound lesson and a profound answer to this as well. <clears throat> Let's take a look at one other passage that almost tells us the exact same lesson. And that's the creation of, naturally, woman. Turn to page six, bottom of the page. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the bottom passage? Bottom of page six. By Yomar Hashem Kim. It is not good for man to be by himself, to be alone. Let me make for him some helpmate that'll be with him or against him in order to be an azer. It isn't good for man to be alone. Does anybody have any problem with understanding that part of the passage? It is not good for man to be alone. 
I mean, everybody understands what the import of those words mean. What, what does it mean? Good companionship, procreation. What? Oh, a sense of lonely. However, you're going to define it. But we all understand what it means. I mean, again, we have to define what does it mean alone in what regard. But it's something that seems to be pretty obvious and self-evident. What is the nature of it? It's not good for man to be like that. Comes Rashi and he tells us something which we never really thought about. A whole different shot. What does it mean? It's not good for man to be alone. Most of us would think it's not good for man for himself to be alone. I mean. You're much better off having a companion, having a lifetime partner, someone to share with, someone to raise a family with. Rashi says for something totally different. Lo tovayot, what does it mean it isn't good? Not it isn't good for man. It's not good for the world. It's not good for creation. Why? Look at Rashi says for something very strange. It's not good for creation. Why? Because God, being the creator of the universe, in the spiritual realms, man is the boss and the head and the godlike creature in the lower physical material world. Hey, that's a thing. I'm godlike. The same way God is alone in the upper worlds, I'm alone in this world. And he's going to become haughty and conceited as a result. We have to teach him. Exactly. The woman will knock him down. <laughs> you get married and you learn very shortly that you're nothing. <laughs> you, you're no God. Yeah, you're no God. Now the truth is there are two ways of learning what does it mean that the creation of woman solves this problem of the conceit of man. One way of learning it is the way Eddie just pointed it out, which is that marriage teaches you humility. You have to share. You can't make all your own decisions. You find out very quickly, soon enough, that you don't have the problem that Harvey was saying over here, that I'm going to do it anyway. Consult with your wife. You'll see that very often you wind up not doing what you planned on doing. So you learn very quickly, you learn very quickly that you are not the boss. That's one way of doing it. Marriage teaches you humility. She's the Azer. That's only a question that they would ask in the 1990s. But I would say that there's another much deeper shot in that as well, in what Rashi's saying. And that's not referring necessarily to the after-marriage aspect of, of uh, humbleness versus arrogance, but rather in the very nature of the human being as he's created, even as a bachelor. The fact that you are deficient and you feel a need for something is what makes you realize that you're not a godlike creature. Lotovado should then be translated. It is not good for man to be created in a way where he can be totally independent and self-sufficient and lack all deficiencies, not have any deficiencies. Because then he's going to feel godlike. Just as God has no deficiency and is totally independent, independent operator with no deficiency, total independence, total freedom, total feeling of without any need for anything. God, as the, the creator of the world, is totally self-sufficient. If man would likewise be created where he doesn't have any needs and desires and deficiencies and he's a self-sufficient human being, 
he would then feel conceited and godlike. Let me make him with a need for a woman. Let me make him with a deficiency where he knows I'm lacking. I'm a person created with deficiencies, lacking, and I need something to fulfill my... I need an Azer Connecto. The fact that he needs an Azer is what makes him humble and makes him realize that he's not godlike. The fact that he needs an Azer and he's not Levado... He's not Levado self-sufficient. Lotov heyosa odom Levado. It is not good for man to be independent. Lotov heyosa odom Levado. It is not good for man to be totally self-sufficient because that will lead to a gaiva. That will lead to a holiness and an arrogance where he feels totally independent, totally in control, totally the boss, self-sufficient, without needs, lacking nothing. He'll feel himself to be a godlike creature. He'll compare himself to God. That will lead to heresy. Man's feeling of arrogance and self-sufficiency and his ability to dominate his environment and to be domineering and a godlike creature in his world similar to God above. He is the dominant creature in this world will lead to a gaiva, to an arrogance which ultimately leads to heresy. That's the danger. Therefore, lo tov levado. It is not good for man to be able to be self-sufficient. Let me make for him an azer where he feels deficient, where he realizes that he has wants and needs that has to be fulfilled by another. So he goes through life with a feeling of loneliness until it's fulfilled by another creature, until he has a wife and a mate and he realizes that he can't be independent. He can't take care of his own needs. He's not a self-sufficient creature. It is not good for man to be independent and self-sufficient. Let me make him in a situation where he feels this loneliness and this need and this want and this lacking. And as a result, he'll have a wife. And then he'll realize it'll, it'll humble him. His feeling of loneliness beforehand in bachelorhood will humble him. Heresy that results from arrogance is worse than heresy that results from philosophy. God therefore took a calculated risk rather than, than suffer the, the heresy that will come from an independent Balgaiva. Let us allow for a possibility of a philosophical and textual mistake, but let us teach him humility because there's more dangers of heresy that come from Gaiva than heresy that comes from a philosophical misunderstanding. From a degeneracy of character flaws. Midos and the heart is a greater source of heresy than the mind and than the philosophy. What the Torah then is saying is exactly in the right posse to teach us the right lesson. It's not a it's not a toss-up where we have to sacrifice their heresy or heresy. It's heresy and heresy. But which kind of heresy is more potent? The heresy that emanates from philosophical and theological speculation or the heresy that comes from Gaiva. The lesson is Nasa Adam in the creation of man teach you a little bit of humility to avoid heresy. Because the danger of the heresy that comes from Gaiva is much worse than the heresy that's going to come from textual analysis of Nasa Adam. It's amazing. And yes, there were people that made the mistakes. 100%. As Jerry pointed out, throughout history, whether it's the Christians, whether it was the, the Greeks and the Egyptians, in the time of uh, the Septuagint, when they translated it, 
If you write the wrong word, there will be some people that will come up with philosophical speculation, textual analysis, theological speculation, trinities, heresies, idolatry, polytheism, whatever the case may be. They'll go to a philosophy 101 course and come out heretics. But the greater danger of heresy is not those that attend philosophy 101 courses. It's those that attend, and all of us are attending, Gaiva 101. We're all in that. We all have inside of us Gaiva 101. And that's a greater source of danger. There's a greater danger of heresy that emanates from a lack of their heresy than heresy that, that emanates from, from something else. As a matter of fact, where do we see this? One place we see this is precisely by the Dorha Floga that we were just talking about. The Dorha Floga, what was their problem? They were getting along amongst each other, but they said, hey, you know what? We're great people. And, and well, we're not going to go right now into what their sin was, because it's a little bit mysterious. It's not really explained fully in the text as to what their sin was in, several years ago. We went through exactly what their sin was. But one sees a little bit some of the indication, where they said they were all one and united, and they said, <coughs> hover. They also use the same word, hover. Let us unite. Make a city. Umigdol and a huge tower. And let it go and approach the heavens. Rosha Bashamayim. Let its head approach the heavens, which is where the Medrash sees in it, that they were directing some of their heresies against God. Let's displace God. Let's replace God with ourselves. And let us make for ourselves a name. That's what people do. Trump Tower. What is Trump Tower? It's a tower of Nasalon Hushem, where he wants to have his name all over the world. It's Gaiva. The greatest heresy comes from that. I'm the greatest, I'm the most powerful, I'm super, and the greatest heresy comes from that. Nasalon Hushem, the head is in the heavens, in the clouds. You attempt to replace God and displace God with yourself. That's the greatest heresy. Where does it come from? Gaiva. In the same postage, Hashem uses the same word that they used in the opposite way. They said, let us build a tower, displace God, and God is teaching the opposite. Let us go down. And of course, here one can use the illusion of both ways of the word, let us go down. That's the way we should be. Says Rashi, what does it mean? He consulted from from his humility. God is trying to teach us humility. Does God have to be humble? Not really. But the point is God is trying to attempt to teach us lessons. Rather than hover go up, hover let's go down a little bit. And that's the way to fight heresy. Someone was telling me from, uh, from what the stifler writes in one of his farms that the way that a person should have the greatest Yerushimayim and the greatest philosophical beliefs, the right hashkafas is from anova. If a person could achieve anova, you could achieve humility, then already you solve many of these of these heretical problems. So therefore, likewise over here, in the creation of man, this is where the lesson has to be taught. Let's take one other instance of this. What was Adam Arisha? No, uh, the stipler said, I don't know what he said, I just, I just heard over from someone along these lines once. But he was telling me when I was telling him the word, this is what he told me. The um, what was the sin of Adam and Chava? What was the sin? 
They ate from the Eitzadas. But they were out for the fruit. Because it tasted good. It was a, especially if it was an Esrug. I mean, I don't know if you ever been into an Esrug. But it was, it was a fig, possibly. Right? It's one shot. It was a fig. Grapes, possibly. The pitten. But there's a meaning that the wives buy it. That's why. That's what it comes from. In fact, very often you'll see on an esrog, it looks like tooth marks. The way the esrog is shaped, looks like it's you know sort of like an hourglass figure. So they refer to it as a chavas bis, chavas bite. Still see your tooth marks in it. You know, she bit into that. That's what comes from that a woman should bite off the pitten or something. But what was the sense of esrog was such a delicious fruit? Not quite. What was the yates or horror in eating from the eitzadas? Said the Nochosh, the Yetzirah said, "Ki You'll eat from it and you'll be godlike. You'll get godlike powers, godlike abilities. But now she sees it's a good thing. It is desirable for wisdom to become godlike. You can become godlike creatures. The Yetzirah then all sin, all heresy." emanates from this Yetzirah of Gaiva. As a matter of fact, we have one more indication of this. This is the word that I told you the other day. When Hashem says to Adam, what did you eat from the tree for? So Adam says, Adam says, woman says, she gave me Vo'ochel and I ate. Grammatically the word Vo'ochel is a little bit ambiguous. The correct way or the most definitive way of saying I ate would be to say and I ate. makes it like that, but really ochel is future tense. Says the Medrash, Adam was saying, and I'm going to continue to eat. He's telling God, I sin, and yes, I'm going to continue to sin. Whereas some of them in Forsham explain that if you take the dots out, the way it's written in the Torah, the word vochel can be read vuuchal, and I'm able. I'm capable. I'm still alive. Yeah, you said I'm going to die. I'm not dead. Look, here I am. I was able to eat it, and I'm still able to eat it. And I will continue to eat it. Which, in a sense, Adam was maybe saying, now that the eight Sahara is in me, I'm going to continue to sin. This is the nature of man. He sins, he repents, he gets punished, or he does repent, or he doesn't repent. And he goes back and he sins again and he sins again. That's the nature of man ever since the first sin to constantly keep sinning. So in a sense, Adam was saying a prediction for the future. Vo'ochel, I will continue to sin. I will continue to eat. But he's also saying, I can, I'm able, and I'm going to do it, God. All of a sudden, Adam now becomes independent of God. Says the Medrash, and another, it's a different Medrash, but we can connect the two together. Adam wasn't driven out from Gan Eden until he became a heretic. So he became a koifer. How could what Adam denies God? What, he became an atheist? That's not. He didn't have to become an atheist or a heretic the way we think of it. This in itself, that's the heresy. To be able to all of a sudden feel other than God and to be an independent creature other than God, that's the greatest heresy of all. The greatest heresy emanates from this lack of midos, the midah of gaiva, anova. Therefore, it's not a toss-up. It's not a question of where you're weighing. Should we teach their heres? Should we teach her? Um, should we avoid heresy? No. It's a question of 
should we concern ourselves more with heresy that emanates from textual analysis, philosophical and theological speculation, or should we concern ourselves more with teaching lessons of Anova in order that a person shouldn't be led to heresy? Because if there's gaiva, and if you feel so independent, I don't have to consult with anybody. You're the king, you're the kingmaker, you're the boss, you're on top. You have to consult with nobody. You do whatever you want, and you just go ahead and you do it. After a while, you start feeling your own oats, and you start feeling great and you're powerful, and that's the heresy. The greatest heresy emanates from gaiva. Where does minus come from? Not from the mind, but from the heart, from the emotions the midos of the person from character flaws. Character flaws lead to heresy much more than philosophy does. Therefore, precisely in the Pesach of Nassau, the Betzalmenu is where the lesson belongs. So what, what Richard you know, what we were saying earlier, and I said but why this Pesach? That's the answer. Because this is the Pesach that's teaching us the, the concern of where does heresy come from? Another Pesach wouldn't have done it. Precisely in the creation of man, we have to say, man, you, in order to avoid heresy, be in your place, even if it, philosophically you could have questions. Better to feel in your place with the kashas than the person that feels with no kashas, but he feels strong and mighty and powerful. This is the Pasuk to teach us the lesson. So it's not their heresy versus heresy, it's heresy versus heresy. But it's heresy coming from philosophy versus heresy coming from their heretz from Midos. So it's heresy versus heresy as a trade-off rather than their heretz versus heresy. That's my addition to the Vort. As we see later on, the same idea. As the Loezer Kinegdo. If you feel deficient, you won't really think you're a godlike creature. If you feel self-sufficient and whole and all by yourself, Levado, God's alone, I'm alone, I don't need God, I don't need anything, I'm totally independent. That's where heresy comes from. So therefore we have that lesson from Parshas Beratius.